Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In honor of the 73rd annual DGA Awards, we're bringing back our annual series of episodes devoted to our popular Meet the Nominees Theatrical Feature Films Symposium. The event, which celebrated its 30th anniversary this year, is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild's Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Theatrical Feature Film. This year's nominees include Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Minari, Emerald Fennell, the director of Promising Young Woman, David Fincher, the director of Mank, Aaron Sorkin, the director of The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland. These talented directors gathered on April 10th to discuss the craft of directing and the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan in front of a virtual audience. So please enjoy part three of our Meet the Nominees special and listen to the five nominees share their thoughts on working with ADs, the last image they wanted to leave the audience with, and how they handle pressure. Em, you made some very, very specific choices in terms of camera. You're, there are a lot of short sightings. There's lots of uh, shots that have headroom. Can you talk about your use of camera in this particular movie? Yeah, I think like everything in the movie, it's, it was about kind of uh, making it um, a bit like Cassidy's world. So she's very contained and formal um, and still. And so a lot of the time it was about creating these kind of tableaus that were quite, yeah, quite formal and old-fashioned in lots of ways and static. Um, I think it, it really helped. Often, as I said, people kind of off-center. It's well, there's sort of slightly too much headroom, or you're kind of you're prioritizing the things in the in the frame maybe that are surprising, and, and that that was yeah, it's enormously helpful when you're talking about something who's kind of stultified. Um, and it meant that when we did use Steadicam, like the tiny, tiny bits we did, which were never used, you know, either falling in love and loosening up, or, or she kind of lost control. And, it, you know, emotionally and, and things were kind of, yeah, falling apart. It, you, you really felt it. You felt those moments. So, um, so things, so things like the scene in the pharmacy, total different camera style than other scenes where you're much more formal. But, but talk also about, in, in fact, the scene we, uh, that we had in the clip, um, the short sighting. Um, this is a technique that, you know, um, listeners used a hundred years ago, but it's also something that's become quite common now. And I'm interested in how you sort of committed to it and why, what you feel, what you feel from it when you use it. Well, I'm so sorry, what is short sighting? <laughs> oh, well, short sighting is this. Yeah, David and I are going to, let's see, David, I don't know where I'm you so are. sorry, DJ. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm with you. No, no, no. So, and. Em, it has on, to a, do on a screen, on a, on a single with the looking room, if the character's yeah. looking right to left, oftentimes mm-hmm. you create, you know, some people will register the person in the center of the frame. Some people will give them looking room. And then you can also take that looking room away and they can be, you can see the edge of the frame here and it leaves more room for thought. So, for example. See, I think even though we've got mirrored screens, David, if you go to your screen left and I go to my screen, we're going to be probably, you know, yeah. somehow 
the point is, then the normal thing would be to have them separated. I, but what you've done is you you put them sort of they're right next to each other, and so the phrase is used short sighting it. And I'm shocked you have to know. So why did you choose to do those, or did someone say? Well, I, I think I mean my completely mortifying lack of um, <laughs> jargon. Probably it's okay to say it looked cool. Probably, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, it did look cool. But I think actually the truth of it is for me is it kind of most things are, even though it sounds incredibly um, pretentious and ridiculous, a kind of psychological choice. And so it means, you know, obviously creating space, the, the, the negative space is just as important to, as the positive space, I suppose. And, and the sense of unease that you can get by putting people too close together or putting too much space between them. Or, you know, some of the time you find that Cassie was centered and other people aren't. Because they're kind of slightly out of, yeah, they're, they're kind of not comfortable. It's for me, generally speaking, it, it was kind of, yeah, it was, it was, a, it helped create tension, I suppose. Got it. Got it. I was fascinated with this. Um, let's talk about working with our directorial team. Let's talk about working with assistant directors. Um, David, what's your experience, particularly on Mank and working with your assistant directors? Um, well, I hadn't worked with Richard before. We, we, we had talked about, um, uh, going to do another film and then that went away. And so, um, I asked him if he wanted to do Mank. And, um, so it was the first time that, um, uh, somebody sort of outside my sphere of influence had, had been subjected to me, um, with, with no warning. So, um, I, 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 I love Richard and thought he was, uh, incredibly, He's the perfect guy for this movie because it was, it was very much, listen, I had been living with this thing for so long. I had staged the whole movie five or six different times with 10 or 12 different cast members in each role. And so I had been thinking about it for so long that it was, it was, it was essential to like actually kind of see it through, through the eyes of people who, who, weren't expecting every moment and didn't know white wine came up with the fish. And it, it, it was, a, it was actually a, a great thing, but I, I normally work with an assistant director in a slightly different way. I think than most certainly n- not than maybe, maybe Aaron probably, are. but I, I, I don't leave the set. I don't have a trailer. I don't have, I have Wi-Fi and I'm in my chair and I'm got a laser pointer and I'm going, what's that dude? What's that, what's that guy doing hanging that lamp up there? I don't want that. Like, you know, I'm, I am, I am the proverbial fly in the ointment. So, so I think I was probably very taxing for, for Sam and, and for Richard and, and, and Matt, but I, but I, I try to be, I'll never be a, a soft cushion to land on but i i try to be at least um understanding of there's a certain amount of inertia that that 90 90 people have and getting the whole the, getting the whole thing on its feet in the morning is always for me the i want to get out of the gates fast and so what are you asking your assistants the assistant directors to specifically do for you 
I mean, is it scheduling more important or is it their behavior on set to, in fact, make the set move or is it dealing? No, I'm, I'm pushing the set, you know, I, and, and, and not in a, not in a, um, no, I think I'm looking for somebody to be my eyes and ears in terms of, you know, I get this a lot, you know, from, from costume designer, you know, Trish Somerville, somebody I've worked with a lot and, you know, we have a whole screening process for like crazy extras <laughs> and she will, you know, after seeing everybody in the trailers and getting everybody ready and they're in the hair and makeup, she will come and she'll be able to say, okay, this person, deep background, because I don't know if they're going to make it the whole day. And this person, you do, you, not a great listener. Um, and she'll like download it all for me so that I have, wow. so that I'm kind of armed with. You know, and then I work with the AD to make sure that um, we're everybody's focused on the. I'm never going to be the guy who's going to go to his trailer and be presented with somebody's idea of what it should be. Okay. I mean, Aaron's been there. It's 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 not it's it's not so much about like you know everyone is conspiring to me, but it it mm -hmm. it's simply that I, I where else am I going to be? Like, what am I going to be doing? I'm not going to be. Watching. <laughs> Oh, got it. All right. Chloe, Chloe, tell us about where particularly on this kind of film, um, working with your assistant director. Um, we we have a very uh if I look at if I like I have a top view of how the, the set is drawn, is that there's a little core and that's me, the uh, our uh, sound uh, production sound mixer, DP and our actors. And it's three sixty, so everyone else either run real fast or they hide. And, and everything else is making things happen far away. So our AD, Mary, is really the point person between this core and the rest of the group. That as we move forward, sometimes this needs to happen, the, the, the other team needs to make this thing happen as we move towards it while being 360. So she is as much as a strategist, also an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, she has to run there fast enough to get his people in the right place and, and, and then hide in time for, um, so she definitely had the right, the type of attitude. And she, she is excited about that. She worked with Ben's Island, you know, on Beast, uh, Beast Southern Wild and Wendy. So she came from that world and she's excited about, uh, trying to go into the real world and, and, and control as much as we can. And, um, I also I, I like to be quite in charge with the schedule just because it's um it's sort of in my head with the with the the, the whole thing with the edit and I watch the daily the night before rewrite so I it's almost me and my DP to to put this together and Mary uh did what would basically be a voice of the producers and the and the logistic and telling me actually you can't do this and that and that and then and it's to tell me what I what I, what are the parameters? And then I, so I get to play as much as I want. And, and so the, the communication, like you said, David, to start as quick as possible is to not have this big meeting where everyone's just talking. Is to just tell me the three, okay, what I can't do. Okay. Got it. And then just here's what I need to do. Go tell them right now so we can start and, and not be bogged down by big meetings in the morning. Well, one of the things about working with assistant directors is, is obviously working with background artists. Um, that, that sometimes is their responsibility. Um, and with things like the Amazon lunch scene where you've got, I don't know, a thousand people in that. Do you remember, I mean, uh, your assistant director may not have been able to help at all in terms of that, but I'm curious, so since you shot that, how you set that one up with or without the, the help of your AD. 
Well, we 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 cast the people that uh, are already working there. Um, so they they just happened to be there at that time, and uh, I think we might have shot during the lunch. No, no, that's not true. No, we we brought everyone. I think maybe after they finished lunch, we got people to agree to stay, and then they just come back in, and we we position them in a way um, uh, that makes sense for the shots, especially the white shots, and then just. Uh, yeah, and then that Mary is helping to coordinate all of that. So a lot of that is work with what you have. Got it. Right there. Yeah. Got it. Isaac, you work with the assistant director? Yeah, uh, with this one, it was just so rushed. Uh, I, I felt like we gave him an impossible task. Uh, Jeff Dubray was our first AD. Um, I, I think I, we got the master schedule on the first, uh, when we're prepping, and I think the first day we were shooting, like, eight scenes on the first day that was day one and then our last day we shot seven and a half pages of script i still remember that number um so i mean that was just the nature of of this this film so what normally would happen is i would have my meetings with Lockie, our dp and we would be figuring out how do we do this day and normally with every scene we know we can only max out at three or four setups that was that was like the number that that we knew so everything had to be very efficient and Jeff had to be with us all the time, just listening and putting things together. And then he would run off in and, uh, and, you know, get everything organized while Lockie was just, he ran an impeccable, uh, camera team. And, um, yeah, it, it was just kind of that he, he needed to be a good listener and just run and try to make it work. And one of the key things that was important for him was to always be whispering in my ear how much more time we have with Alan Kim. Because, you know, he only has six hours. So they'd say, okay, he just arrived. You have this amount of time. And then every every hour or 30 minutes, they'd tell me, okay, you, you have this much more time with Alan. We'd have to react to that as well. Got, got, got. Yeah, I'm getting stressed just talking about it. It's okay. I'm going to ask, since our time is sort of gone running down, but I'm going to ask two more questions. But I still want to go on the assistant directors. Alan, um, with, with your assistant director, uh, what was your experience? We had a kind of legendary AD, uh, uh, Joe Reedy. Uh, uh, he's phenomenal. I, I was so lucky, uh, we all were, to uh, to be able to work with him. You were able to uh, give him a lot of tips. Uh, <laughs> you know, some tips, David. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no. How, how to shoot action scenes, right? How to shoot action scenes, I assure you. <laughs> it was mostly about how to shoot action. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Isaac, um, for me, a seven-page scene is a short one. I obviously ran out of words. It's only seven pages. Uh, and, uh, but Joe, uh, Joe ran the set. There were a lot of scenes in Chicago 7 with a lot of background. Uh, uh, so he, in his seconds, uh, had, had to run that, too. But I would, uh, I, I had no preference in terms of the, the order that we were, uh, the order of the setups, except that I always, obviously, you, you want to start with the master. You want to start as, as far away as you can. I, I use that as rehearsal time, knowing I am not going to spend more than a second in the master, uh, uh once, once I get in the editing room. Uh, uh, but, and, and, uh, I leave it to Joe to move the set along. Um, you know, I, the only thing I would say to him, I, I, 
I get why it takes a, a long time to in between setups or sometimes even in between takes. But then we arrive at a moment where I feel like everything's been done already. We're, we're all here. We're ready to go. And what's happening now is just kind of abstract busyness that I don't understand. Um, and that's the moment where, uh, and I have to believe that the other four of you have said this many, many times too. What are we waiting for? <laughs> right? What is it exactly we're waiting on, uh, uh right now? This is where tear gas. Taser, just a taser. Smell <laughs> How many times did I beg you to hit the Winklevoss twins with tear gas, David? <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on. M, tell us, assistant director. Now you do know. Um, <laughs> no, I did. I'm so sorry. I didn't understand what that job is. Um, God, <laughs> I do know. Look, I mean. It's sort of the same as everyone else. I hate meetings. I don't think I was in. I had a thing that I don't think I ever went into at once. I can't imagine anything more stultifying than having to discuss <laughs> that kind of stuff. Actually, you know, um, in in that way, I think you kind of. But really, like Isaac, yeah. Poor Mike, wonderful Mike, who was the first, was just staring down the barrel of a schedule that was just. Sisyphean hell. And so a lot of it was like, yeah, a lot of it was like, how are we doing this? How can we? And I think I was probably very impatient. Um, a lot of the time I very much identify with like, what are we doing? What are we doing? This? <laughs> um, and there was a bit of that, but, but yeah, he was, he was on top of all of the uh, background artists and, and I think mostly. I, he was a kind of megaphone. That makes it sound, he was, but like a lot of the time, yeah, I just needed, I needed, um, somebody to strong arm people. And oh. like the gentlest, kindest, kindest person in the world, but he was good at, yeah, manhandling. I have two more questions for all of you. Um, the first question, I'm going to tell you what they are, but let's go around the circle. Uh, the first question is the very last image that you leave your audience with in each one of your movies. Can you talk about that? The very last image. And the second, the last question I'm going to ask is what do you do with pressure? How do you, how do you handle pressure? So, but we'll go around first. And that last image, which is, I believe the phone, um, uh, talk about how that, how you decide to leave your movie, to uh, leave your audience with your last image. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one, the last image, particularly this, but I wanted Cassie to have the last say. Mm. And didn't she? Spoiler alert, dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was about kind of giving her, and also this is sort of like, it's a winky face emoji, which, I mean, look, <laughs> saying it out loud isn't pretty embarrassing, but that's the last thing. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, so it just kind of felt impish and silly and it had all of the kind of dark comedies mm -hmm. that I wanted. Um, and then what was the second part of the question? Well, I'm going to come around. It's what do you do with pressure? But okay. hold on to a second. You can have pressure by thinking about what you're doing, pressure, when I go around. David, the last image in, in your movie. Now, it's I was in the script. 
Um, and it was a um, it was a hopeful, um, um, you know, it was nonsense. It never really happened in real life. He was presented with a, with an Oscar after after the ceremonies. And what he says in the film is something that he said to someone else. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I, I I shot the script. Got it. And, 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 and I deal with pressure. Um, but no, not yet. Poorly. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I'm doing this purposely. I'm doing this purposely. Chloe, Chloe, I'm going to watch you come back with us. Chloe, what about you? The last image when she's walking, you know, out of your frame. Um, well, actually, that's not the last image, but interesting you say that because in the script, the last image is her leaving the door, right? And that's, I, I, when I went to Empire and did that myself during, during development, I knew that's the ending of the movie. And it's been like that. And then in, in editing, I didn't even think like that's the end of the movie. But then the lockdown happened and the pandemic happened. And I started getting notes saying like, we need a little more hope. And you know me, I'm like, no. <laughs> and it ends with her leaving the house. And then they, as time went on, I go, oh, yeah, it's true. Like, you came to the hope request? I usually would never do that. You but are I, a great I, hope. I, <laughs> by, by, by like June, I was feeding the weight. And I go, you know what? Maybe it's time to see the van moving down the road and just keep going. And yeah, but, but some people feel like the film ended leaving the door. Um, so and, and as a matter of fact, initially you did. And so you, then you have this other image, which I, I, it, what I'm interested in is, of course, the emotional effect that the last image of any movie is going to have. Now, obviously, the, the credits and the music and all kinds of other things going to happen. But there is that. And you're right. You have see you down the road, in a sense, uh, is the experience of your last image now rather than what I remember, too, is as her walking off. I got it. I got the evolution. Isaac, um, if I remember correctly, the last image moves in on uh, the Minari uh, Creek. Do you remember yeah. where and how that evolved for you to be the last image in your movie? Yeah, I, I knew from the writing phase that I would end it there. Um, I, I never, I, what I didn't know is who would be at the Minari Creek. So that was something that I was working with. But um, I mean, it made sense to me to end it with it's Stephen Young and Alan Kim, the father and son, because um, ultimately I felt like this is something I was making for me and my dad and also for me and my daughter. So uh, just having that combination of father and the, the child together, um, it just felt right. It was an intuitive choice, really, not a not an intellectual one. Got it. In, in, including the camera move, because if I remember correctly, you move in on them. You don't pull away like sometimes sometimes you, we, we might do as a last shot. This one moves in. If I remember right, correctly. right. We just move in very, very, very slowly. I think we did. That was one where we afforded ourselves a lot of takes. So uh, we we tried it a number of times. Um, but yeah, we, we always knew that it needed to end with that slow push in, uh, that gets ultimately, it's, it's for economy. Like you see the, uh, Minari patch, you see it growing and then you end with the two people. And I, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to cut there. I wanted it to just feel like it's moving into the end. So. Gotcha. Aaron, for you, the, 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 it's an interesting experience in your movie because there is that wide shot that kind of freezes um, and, and then comes to alive again. Um, and then there are the actual, you know, actors that we actually get to see. Uh, how did the end of the visual end of your movie evolve for you? Uh, well, I, I too shot the script. Um, 
I was working with a writer who's kind of an asshole about that. Got to watch that. Yeah. Um, that guy's uh, tough. So it, well, I, I wanted the film to, uh, I, I wanted to feel good uh, at the end of the film. I, I wanted it to to end with some inspiration. So it's the the reading of the names and um, uh, some people in the gallery cheering, some of them walking out uh, uh, in disgust, but the defendants uh, all standing up. One final act of defiance uh, in, in the face of power. Faden uh, and I, you know, designed a a pullback and a nice high shot, and we knew we'd be pleasing the image uh, for the postscripts that come on the scene. But the, uh, the the real final image isn't an image actually, because we snap to black and then hear a thousand people chant, "The whole world is watching," and then the music comes in and and, uh, and we roll in credits. Did you plan also early on to actually credit your actors? Because in many ways, the last image is in fact them. I'll, I'll tell you why I did that. Um, uh, no, I, I hadn't planned on doing that. Uh, but then I, well, I was, uh, uh, Daniel, uh, along with, uh, Celeste, uh, they on their own, on spec, uh, behind my back, they wrote a song, Hear My Voice, uh, which is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Song. Um, and, uh, I was told when I was in the cutting room that the music branch of the academy liked it more when, if there is an original song, when that song is over picture. Um, now I couldn't put this song over the end of the film because it just didn't belong there. Um, uh, the score that, that Daniel had written, uh, belonged there. So the best I could do in terms of putting it over picture was to uh, was to do the credits the way uh, I did uh, with the, with the actor's name, which, by the way, I always, as an audience member, I I find it kind of nice. I realize yeah. it feels a little like the Love Boat, but um, American Graffiti. But I like the Love Boat too. And, and American Graffiti. I was lucky enough to to get the Crosby, Stills, and Nash song for my my version of this uh, story. Right. But see, that was years ago. M, um, let's. Uh, Hit you with uh, uh, pressure. What do you do for pressure? I don't know what I do, but I, I think I think that my husband would say that I love it. I think I say I don't, but I I think I like it. Like I just don't think you could do this job if you didn't kind of. How do you handle it when you are feeling it? I think uh, dead deadly calm, with an occasional lapse of judgment <laughs> but i like it i think it's the i feel quite i feel quite calm when everything's the more pressure there is the more the thing that freaks me out more than anything is too much time too much money too much time to think pressure the pressure is i think it's like aaron for you pressure how do you handle it uh, you know what? All, all I can do is do my best to not inflict it on, on the pressure I'm feeling to not inflict it on other people. Um, you know, people in my personal life and, and uh, people at work. I've given up on trying to not feel uh, a pressure. But um, like Emerald, I, I think maybe the reason 
why I'm not able to stop myself from feeling pressure is that I'm scared that if I didn't feel pressure, I wouldn't do anything. You know, that it's the pressure that's making me, that's making me right, that's making me make the film, that kind of thing. I got it. Well spoken. Isaac, what about for you? What do you do with the pressure? Um, I, I always feel like I, I just hold it all in and, uh, that last <laughs> day after best. production was, yeah, I, the, the last day after production, I get sick or, you know, bad things happen because suddenly there's this release of that. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a weird thing. I, I, I'm sure so many directors know that, that feeling of once that's gone. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird that, that tension that you're holding for so long. I, got it. I don't know I got if that answers the question. But... No, it gets close enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chloe, what about for you? What do you do with the pressure? It, it, it depends on what type of pressure it is. Um, but some days it's like that movie in Melancholia. You know, I'm very much, I feel like Kurt Christian does see that movie. Like I feel, I feel nothing and it's the worst it gets. But other days I will cry with anyone. From a PA, an extra, to the, the executive producer, I would cry to anyone who listened to me. I would just sob and sob. And then, and then I had the pressure out and it's gone. It's I'm probably, you, know, you guys would do that on set, but I, 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 I love it. <laughs> and David, what about for you? Um, I'll just inflict it on whoever's standing closest. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I thought. I just want, that's why I wanted you to listen. No, I, I'm learning, I'm learning so many adult things here, like how to deal with pressure. I'm, I'm learning the, the end of your movie should have either hope or uplift and not uremic poisoning. And, and, and I'm hoping to apply all of this in, in the future. But I, I invariably default to, um, uh, you know, a walking vivisectionist. And so I, I try to sort of stay away from other people when I'm particularly morose. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I, I, I want to thank all five of you for, for spending the time with all of us. You know, sharing how you do what you do and do so well is a real gift. So uh, on the behalf of the Directors Guild, congratulations on obviously wonderful films and your nominations, but also thank you. Thank you just for spending time with us and um, um, we appreciate it. So I'm going to say under pressure, this is the end of our Meet the Nominees with the Outstanding Directors. For Thank Best you, Jeremy. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. Everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye, kids. Thank Bye. you, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Theatrical Feature Film Symposium on our website at dga.org slash events. Past episodes of The Director's Cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.